Chapter Eight of Behind the Beyond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug. Behind the Beyond by Stephen Leacock. Chapter Eight: Parisian Pastimes, Number Two: The Joys of Philanthropy. Good morning," said the valet de chambre as I stepped from my room. "Good morning," I answered. "Pray accept twenty-five centimes." "Good morning, sir," said the maître d'hôtel as I passed down the corridor. "A lovely morning, sir." "So lovely," I replied, "that I must at once ask you to accept forty-five centimes on the strength of it." "A beautiful day, monsieur," said the head waiter, rubbing his hands. I trust that Monsieur has slept well. So well, I answered, that Monsieur must absolutely insist on your accepting seventy-five centimes on the spot. Come, don't deny me. This is personal matter. Every time I sleep, I simply have to give money away. Monsieur is most kind. Kind? I should think not. If the valet de chambre and the maître d'hôtel and the chef de service and the other of the ten men needed to supply me with fifteen cents worth of coffee could read my heart, they would find it an abyss of the blackest hatred. Yet they take their handful of coppers. Great grown men dressed up in monkey suits of black at eight in the morning, and bow double for it. If they tell you it is a warm morning, you must give them two cents. If you ask the time, it costs you two cents. If you want a real, genuine burst of conversation, it costs anywhere from a cent to a cent and a half a word. Such is Paris all day long, tip, 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 till the brain is weary, not with the cost of it, but with the arithmetical strain. No pleasure is perfect. Every rose has its thorn. The thorn of the Parisian holiday-maker is the perpetual necessity of handing out small gratuities to a set of overgrown flunkies too lazy to split wood. Not that the amount of the tips, all added together, is anything serious. No rational man would grudge it, if it could be presented in a bill as a lump sum at breakfast time every morning, and done with for the day. But the incessant necessity of handing out small tips of graded amounts gets on one's nerves. It is necessary in Paris to go round with enough money of different denominations in one's pocket to start a bank. Gold and paper notes for serious purchases, and with them a huge dead weight of great silver pieces, five franc bits as large as a Quaker's shoe buckle, and a jingling mass of coppers in a side pocket. These one must distribute as extras to cabmen, waiters, news vendors, beggars, anybody and everybody, in fact, that one has anything to do with. The whole mass of the coppers carried only amounts, perhaps, to twenty-five cents in honest Canadian money but the silly system of the French currency makes the case appear worse than it is, and gives one the impression of being a walking treasury. Morning, noon, and night, the visitor is perpetually putting his hand into his side pocket and pulling out coppers. He drips coppers all day in an unending stream. You enter a French theatre, you buy a programme, fifty centimes, and ten more to the man who sells it. You hand your coat and cane to an aged harpy who presides over what is called the vestiaire. Pay her twenty-five centimes and give her ten. You are shown to your seat by another old fairy in a dingy black, she has a French name, but I forget it, and give her twenty centimes. Just think of the silly business of it. Your ticket, 
if it is a good seat in a good theatre, has cost you about three dollars and a half. One would almost think that the theatre could afford to throw in eight cents worth of harpies for the sake of international goodwill. Similarly, in your hotel, you ring the bell, and there appears the valet de chambre, dressed in a red waistcoat and a coat effect of black taffeta. You tell him that you want a bath. Bien, monsieur. He will fetch the maître d'hôtel. Oh, he will, will he? How good of him! But really one can't witness such kindness on his part without begging him to accept a twenty-five centime remembrance. Merci bien, monsieur. The maître d'hôtel comes. He is a noble-looking person who wears a dress suit at eight o'clock in the morning with patent leather shoes of the kind I have always wanted, but am still unable to afford. Yet I know from experience that the man merely lives and breathes at fifty centimes a breath. For fifty centimes, he'll bow low enough to crack himself. If you gave him a franc, he'd lie down on the floor and lick your boots. I know he would. I've seen them do it. So when the news comes that you propose to take a bath, he's right alongside of you in a minute, all civility. Mind you, in a really French hotel, one with what is called the old French atmosphere, taking a bath is quite an event, and the maitre d'hôtel sees a dead sure fifty centimes in it with perhaps an extra ten centimes if times are good. That is to say, he may clear anything from ten to twelve cents on the transaction. A bath, monsieur? Nothing more simple this moment. Tout sweet. Right off. He will at once give orders for it. So you give him eleven cents, and he then tells the hotel harpy, dressed in black, like the theatre harpies, to get the bath, and she goes and gets it. She was there, of course, all the time, right in the corridor, and heard all that proceeded, but she doesn't enter into her functions until a valet de chambre tells a maître d'hôtel, and maître d'hôtel informs her officially of the coming event. She gets the bath. What does she do? Why, merely opens the door of the bathroom, which wasn't locked, and turns on the water. But, of course, no man with any chivalry in him could allow a harpy to be put to all that labour without pressing her to accept three cents as a mark of personal appreciation. Thus the maître d'hôtel and the valet de chambre and the harpy go on all day from six in the morning, when they first enter into functions, until heaven knows when at night, when they leave off. And they keep gathering in two cents and three cents and even five cents at a time. Then presently, I suppose, they go off and spend it in their own way. The maître d'hôtel, transformed into a cheap Parisian with a dragonfly coat and a sixty-cent Panama, dances gaily at the bal wagram, and himself hands out coppers to the musicians, and gives a one-cent tip to a lower order of maître d'hôtel. The harpy goes forth, and with other harpies, absorbs red wine and indescribable cheese at eleven at night, in a crowded little café on the crowded sidewalk of a street about as wide as a wagon. She tips the waiter who serves her at the rate of one cent per half-hour of attendance, and he, I suppose, later on tips someone else, and so on endlessly. In this way, about fifty thousand people in Paris eke out a livelihood by tipping one another. The worst part of the tipping system is that very often the knowledge that tips are expected, and the uncertainty of their amount, causes one to forego a great number of things that might otherwise be enjoyable. I brought with me to Paris, for example, a letter of introduction to the President of the Republic. I don't say this in any boasting spirit. A university professor can always get all the letters of introduction that he wants. 
Everybody knows that he is too simple to make any commercial use of them. But I never presented this letter to the President. What was the use? It wouldn't have been worth it. He would have expected a tip, and of course in his case it would have had to be a liberal one, twenty-five cents straight out. Perhaps, too, some of his ministers would have strolled in, as soon as they saw a stranger, on the chance of picking up something. Put it as three ministers at fifteen cents each, that's forty-five cents, or a total of seventy cents for ten minutes' talk with the French government. It's not worth it. In all Paris I found only one place where tipping is absolutely out of the question. That was at the British Embassy. There they don't allow it. Not only the clerks and the secretaries, but even the ambassador himself is forbidden to take so much as the smallest gratuity. And they live up to it. That is why I still feel proud of having made an exception to the rule. I went there because the present ambassador is a personal friend of mine. I hadn't known this till I went to Paris, and I may say in fairness that we are friends no longer. As soon as I came away, our friendship seemed to have ceased. I will make no secret of the matter. I wanted permission to read in the National Library in Paris. All Frenchmen are allowed to read there, and, in addition, all the personal friends of the foreign ambassadors. By a convenient fiction, everybody is a friend of this ambassador, and is given a letter to prove it, provided he will call at the embassy and get it. That is how I came to be a friend of the British ambassador. Whether our friendship will ripen into anything warmer and closer, it is not for me to say. But I went to the embassy. The young man that I dealt with was, I think, a secretary. He was, I could see it at once, that perfect thing called an English gentleman. I have seldom seen, outside of baseball circles, so considerate a manner. He took my card, and from sheer considerateness left me alone for half an hour. Then he came back for a moment, and said it was a glorious day. I had heard this phrase so often in Paris that I reached into my pocket for ten cents but something in the quiet dignity of the young man held me back. So I merely answered that it was indeed a glorious day, and that the crops would soon head out nicely if we got this sunshine, provided there wasn't dew enough to start the rust, in which case I was afraid that if an early frost set in, we might be badly fooled. He said, Indeed, and asked me if I had read the last London Weekly Times. I said that I had not seen the last one, but that I had read one about a year ago, and that it seemed one of the most sparkling things I had ever read. I had simply roared over it from cover to cover. He looked pleased, and went away. When he came back, he had the letter of commendation in his hand. Would you believe it? The civility of it! They had printed the letter, every word of it, except my own name, and had explained all about the ambassador and me being close friends, and told of his desire to have me read in the National Library. I took the letter, and I knew, of course, that the moment had come to do something handsome for the young man. But he looked so calm that I still hesitated. I took ten cents out of my pocket, and held it where the light could glitter from every point of its surface full in his face. And I said, My dear young friend, I hope I don't insult you. You are, I can see it, an English gentleman. Your manner betrays it. I, too, though I may seem only what I am, had I not been brought up in Toronto, might have been like you. But enough of this weakness. Will you take ten cents? He hesitated. He looked all round. I could see that he was making a great effort. The spirit of Paris battled against his better nature. He was tempted, but he didn't fall. I'm sorry, sir, he said. I'd like to take it, but I'm afraid I mustn't. 
Young man, I said, I respect your feelings. You have done me a service. If you ever fall into want and need a position in the Canadian Cabinet, or a seat in our Senate, let me know at once. I left him. Then, by an odd chance, as I passed to the outer door, there was the British ambassador himself. He was standing beside the door, waiting to open it. There was no mistaking him. I could tell by his cocked hat and brass buttons, and the brass chain across his chest, that it was the ambassador. The way in which he swung the door back and removed his hat showed him a trained diplomat. The moment had come. I still held my ten cents. My lord, I said, I understand your position as the only man in Paris who must not accept a tip, but I insist. I slipped the money into his hand. Thank you kindly, sir, said the ambassador. Diplomatically speaking, the incident was closed. End of chapter 8